sermon text this morning is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, pastor of spiritual formation, and have the opportunity to bring the word to you after a Georgia game that went to a one in the morning. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not complaining. Um, no, I'm excited to be here this morning to bring the word. Because one thing I love about Christianity is the whole concept of starting over. I think that the, if we believe the gospel and that the forgiveness God has given us was not based on something we've done, but it's something we've received, no matter where we find ourselves, his love wasn't, a, you know, our obedience wasn't a basis of his love. So starting over is natural. I tell people all the time, I think I have one of the best marriages in the world because we're so good at starting over. I mean, simply, we're 20 years in now. And it's getting better. We're getting better at it, you know? So starting over, the new year, thinking about entering into it. Um, I've been reading a book recently called Resilient. It's by a man named John Eldridge. Maybe some of you have heard it. It's, it's pretty controversial in some of the pages because of some views he has. But a lot of the book is very good, and probably all of it. Just um, I, I've really enjoyed a lot of it. But he talks so much about this idea, the idea of being resilient. And he has some metaphors he goes through as he gets there. But he, he, he's talking, as he builds a case in the introduction of this book for why the book's important, he begins to talk about the pandemic and the years, the three years and the cost of that on our bodies. And so he, he quotes one journalist this way. I want to read it to you. I don't have it for you up here. Um, but it says this. It says, Millions have endured a year of grief, anxiety, isolation, and rolling trauma. Some will recover un- uneventfully, but for others, the quiet moments after the adrenaline fades and normalcy resumes, many uh, resumes may be unexpectedly punishing. When they finally get a chance to exhale, their breaths may emerge as sighs. People put their heads down and do what they have to do, but suddenly, when there's an opening, all these feelings start to come up. Right? When there's an opening, when there's a window, all these feelings start to come up. And he quotes one uh, director of the Trauma Stewardship Institute says this, as hard as the initial trauma is, she says, it's the aftermath that destroys people. The aftermath. Yeah? I just wonder how many of you, like me and my wife, will go on a date and about 7, we go at 5.30. It's, it's us and the old people. About 7, 7.30, we're like... We're crawling back home, ready to go to bed. We're tired. And I meet with many of you. Many of you are tired. And so the, the things we need to do, we don't feel like doing. Right? Elders goes on to say he thinks there's a global denial about the actual cost these last three years have had on us. A global denial. And that he says that we haven't paid the psychological bill to just return to normal. And finally, I want to leave. I'm going to leave our introduction with this last quote. He says, 
It's not on the screen again. I just want you to lean into it and listen to it. It's, it's so alarming to me. Listen, he says this. To be suddenly stripped of your normal life, to live under the fear of suffering and death, to be bombarded with negative news, kept in a state of constant uncertainty about the future, with no clear view of the finish line, and to lose every human countenance behind a mask, may I point out that this is exactly what the torment, this is exactly the torment that terrorist regimes use to break down their prisoners psychologically and physically. The very thing that's happened over the last three to four years is the thing terrorists use to break you down. All of us have been broken down. So when we think about a new year, I think we have to have some wisdom. We can't just say, oh, it's, it's hope. I'm going to lose those pounds, right? I'm going to connect with God. Without taking an evaluation, where have we come from? What's happened? How did we get to where we are, right? As we begin to think about where we want to go. And that's just, I just want to challenge, I'm not going to go much else there, but as we begin to think about starting over and the challenge of new life, what we want for this year, let's have some wisdom and think about what state do we find our heart in right now? Because I think this passage turns out to be a lot about our hearts and what our hearts need. So with that said, I, I just chose two verses. Jesus says in the Beatitudes to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I think these verses are the challenge to seek first his kingdom. It's how, how do we do that? How does Paul tell us to do that? It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So I'm simply going to walk through the verses with us. I don't have any points. I'm just going to walk through just what they say and then get us, you know, just clearly, hopefully as clear as possible to go through them. So, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Therefore. What is it therefore? That's the common thing you often hear. What is it therefore? Well, what we know is that chapters 1 through 11 are being summed up in our first two verses. So he's, this is a hinge verse, and we know because there's a big grammar change in the Greek. I'm not going to get much into it, but there's a huge change. That if you're reading this in Greek, wow, the tense, the, the, the way he's speaking is changing drastically. So in view of God's mercy, he sums up chapters 1 through 11 with God's mercy. 1, one through 11, God's mercy. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has a, a great article or a great book on this called Devoted to God. And he brings out, he does a lot of the counting for me, so I didn't have to do it. But, it, but he basically says there are 315 verses before chapter 12. 315 verses. And he says this. He says the indicative case, right, indicative, it means it indicates something. These are facts. These are things that have happened. These are true. The indicatives are 307 verses of 315. At verse 12, you know what begins? Imperatives. Imperatives are commands. Here's what you do. So here's, here's what's true. Now here's what we do with it. Verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, 1 and 2 is the hinge from one to the next. In chapter 12 alone, 20 imperatives begin. This is what you do. This is what you do. But remember, 11 chapters on what he's done for you. Eleven. And so just put it in perspective as we begin to think about what are we to give ourselves to? What do we want? What do we hope for? There's eleven chapters of God's mercy. There's something that needs to be in view for us. Something that has to grab our hearts as we think about what we want to do.
what we do is grounded in what God has done or is doing. Every command of God flows from the grace of God. Every command flows from his grace. So what, when we think about growing into maturity, right, it's not pulling ourselves up. It's putting our roots down. That's the view here. That's what we want to do as we look back, to drop our roots in that. And, and, and Sinclair Ferguson says there's a gospel logic to this. There's a logic to it. There's, if we begin to think it out, that we are doing flows from our being, right? There's a logic to how it works. Um, and even if you begin to think about things like the Lord's Prayer, we call him Father, and then his kingdom, right? All these things about him, and then at the end, daily bread, right? The things that we want become at the end. There's a, who he is determines who we are, and then what we ask from him and what he calls us to, right? There's a gospel logic to here. Now, no one ever comes to my office and says, you know what? I'm struggling with my identity. I put doing before being. <laughs> I mean, I wish someone would do that. Like, it would be like, okay, here's what we do, you know? Um, none of us think that way. None of us feel that way, to, you know? And so let's stop for a second and go, how do we know when our doing is determining our identity? Right? How do we know? How, do, how can we slow down and we go, huh, wonder if I'm not, if my roots aren't dropped in the indicative, if, I, if I'm basing who I am, based on my obedience or how I'm living in a certain way. And, and it's often I hear things like this, guys, and I hear it from myself. I feel like God's abandoned me. Because of the suffering I'm going through, where the heck is he? Where is he right now? He's not with me. He loves y'all, but he doesn't love me. You know, you ever have that sense? Or there's this deep sense of shame and distance that my sin seems to create from, from God and everyone else around me. Right? There's this... There's this way I begin to live based on the, the suffering, the sin, the struggles I have that, that begin to tell me who I am. I begin to believe things about, or I'm already believing things about who I am that send me there, right? And so I want you to stop and think about what's the sense you have in your suffering? Where do you even find yourself right now as you begin to think about a new year and that sigh comes out? When you think about where your heart is, is it possible that shame has overcome you? That the sense of, I am, it's not I did, I did something wrong. There's something wrong with me. Has that overcome you? God has abandoned me. Has that overcome you? Yeah? Maybe, maybe it would be, let's slow down and listen to our bodies here. Because after all, it's our bodies he's calling to put on the, put on the altar, right? Present your bodies, it says. So, just to stop, what's the sense? Now, chapters 1 through 11 in view of God's mercy, he sums up those things. I appeal to you, I urge you. Paul could have commanded. He, he could have used an imperative here. Instead, he urges, why? Because it, it's his heart language, Paul. Paul's being very pastoral here. I urge you, I appeal to you. Based on these things, the weight of this, the logic is, is that your life would look a certain way. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says. It's on the screen. Clearly, Paul believed and the necessity of exhortations, commands, and imperatives. And his, all, his are all embracing and all demanding. But the rigorous nature of his imperatives is rooted in his profound exposition of God's grace. He expects the fruit of obedience because he has dug down deeply to plant its roots in the rich soil of grace. And I love this part. This is why I put it in here. The weightier the indicatives, the truths, the facts the more demanding the imperatives they are able to support. 
the more powerful the proclamation of grace, the more rigorous the commands it can sustain. The more powerful the, command, uh, the, the indicatives, the greater, the bigger. And you know, you know what that's setting us up for? To be people who pursue his kingdom, who build his kingdom, who bring about the beauty that he has put in us out in this world. Only something this big could, could send us into a calling as big as we have as believers. And so, we got to see it. In view of it, present. In view of it. All these indicatives, the facts, the truth, the beauty of the gospel, the declaration that we bring every time. What is it calling your life to? Do you see it in that way? Now, if we're going to be able to move into this call to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, pleasing to God, which is true and proper worship, if we believe, if we believe that, we've we got to see the paradox in front of us now. If we're going to move into this call, because there, there's, there's a paradox. He says, he says there's a living sacrifice. See it? Living, which means alive. Sacrifice, whenever it's... An animal or Jesus was sacrificed. What happened? They died. So there's something similar to a sacrifice and different from a sacrifice that the passage is calling out of us here. It's a living sacrifice. And so let's, let's stop and look at it. How is it different? Our sacrifice, the living sacrifice we're called to, it's not bloody. There's no more death, friends. There's no more condemnation. I love that word. I say, I say this all the time. And I know there's some new people with it, so I'm going to say it again. There's this, this big old Bible word called propitiation, right? And in the Greek, it's, it's haleos. I don't use Greek much. I'm not that. He's that guy. I'm not that guy. But haleos. And I remember in Greek, I was struggling, and the teacher stopped and taught us this word. And it encouraged me so much to keep learning because it's where we get our word hilarious. And the word, the name Hillary means to laugh. And, and Jesus' works are propitious. He's our propitiation. What? What, what, is he, what does it mean? It means that the frown, the wrath of God, has become the smile of God. He look, we get his favor now. That's what his works mean. And so if we look at the paradox here, the living, there's no more blood. His wrath is poured out. Condemnation is over. That's, that's the living side. That's, that's where it's different side, right? Um, and so there's, there's no, no more of that, of the blood needs to be shed. And so, but, so how is it alike? Well, there is something that dies. And that's, that's the hard part to continue to preach and to, and to hear myself. What, what has to die? You know, a few years ago I preached on Genesis 3, and I talked about Eve and, and Adam's sin, the initial sin, and, and how many will teach that the sin, before they actually ate the fruit, the sin happened. And so what was the sin? I kind of broke it down to show you the slippery slope of temptation, which is when the, as soon as we believe we can decide what life is, I can, I can decide whether I'm going to eat or not that fruit. That's when the sin happens. Jesus, I mean, God told them, don't eat the fruit. As soon as they go, hmm, should I eat it? Immediately, the fall happens. That's how the it's when we believe we have a right to live our lives exactly how we live it. That's the death that has to take place, friends. So there's a living sacrifice. There's a, there's a, a, a God who's rose from the dead on our behalf, but there's a death that still has to take place in us, which is to now be 
transformed into his image over and over as the passage continues. And so it's, it's different, but it's similar, this living sacrifice, right? And so I love it. It continues. It says, so we are to offer our bodies. It's not enough to just stay inside of us. There is something outwardly that needs to happen. You know, I love even the way the message reads it. It says this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't you love how that explains it? That's living sacrifice. It's, it's not some spiritual thing that happens, this mysterious, that's just out there that happened to us. No, there's, it happens in the heart, and there's something that comes out in our lives. There's something very practical with the living sacrifice. Our bodies are, are offered here. And so, again, where can we, where can we do that? I, again, no one comes to my office and says, and I don't, I don't speak this way, hey, man, you know, I'm just not being a living sacrifice. <laughs> it's just not happening for me. No, that's, not, that's not how we think, right? It's not how it happens. In us. So I'm trying to consider, our, what are the questions? What are the thoughts? What are the struggles? And one of the places Scott regularly helps us wrestle with these is the categories time, talent, and treasure, right? Our bodies are called to be a living sacrifice. Look at your time. Just stop for a second. Look at the, the weight of where you spend your time and what you give your attention to. Like, I noticed this year, as I considered this, as I'm preaching it, how much time I spent on Twitter. And again, Twitter's not this bad thing, although it can be, right? But the weight, what's in my view, the in view of God's mercy, present. In view of Twitter, what happens now? In view of TikTok, what happens? These reels that learn us, right? They learn our hearts. They learn what we like and give us that over and over. In view of that, what happens now? What's the life that happens there? Maybe that's where that... The spiritual lethargy is coming from, right? Lethargy. I don't know if I said that word right. But um, maybe that's where it's coming from is that something else is in view here. So it's, it's hard because our time is given to that for our bodies to be offered in these areas with our time. So, again, that's something you can leave here and go, where is my time given? What has my attention in those areas? Talent. Do you know your gifts? This one thing with the elders and I have been to, we have been talking about is like, how do we discover what the spiritual gifts of our community are? How do we help you discover that in a way that, because we're a bigger church than ever, right? We want to grow it, helping us. What are the things we're called to as a body? What are you specifically gifted at? How is that beauty dropping in you and then now coming out of you as you present your body? We want to discover that. So for you, do you know your gifts? Do you know your talents? And are they being offered just at work? Or just at home, or, or also in, in the places that, that, you're, that you're called to spiritually lead on top of those places, right? Are there other places too? And then the last one is treasure. For me, I feel like it's become this thing where the kids will say something, or my wife will say something, and next thing you know, it shows up from Amazon. I have no idea how it happens. You know, it's just, it's that quick. It's so mindless now for me to order something on Amazon, and then the credit card bill comes like, oh, dear God, right? But, like, it's with my treasure, how I spend my money, there's not a thoughtfulness to it anymore. There's not a logic to it. It's become this way of, oh, it's just surviving. You know, and, and again, I'm not calling us, I'm not, I don't think Scripture is saying just go be, live, you know, without anything. It's, are we giving thoughts to this stuff? Is there a logical uh, thoughtfulness given in light of the mercies of God, your time, talent, and treasure, as you look at them? Is there a thoughtfulness to how they come out? Does the radical death of Jesus 
are they revealed in the way we do time, talent, and treasure? Because remember, the high indicatives bring about these these high calling, this high calling on this other side. So those are those are some things to slow down and look at. You know, the other one I just want to slow down with is just to say parenting. Guys, parenting is difficult. You know that. It was hard last night. It's hard every day. It's hard every week. You know, like it's just one of those things that's super tough. And and with our calling, you know, I, I heard. I, I'll just be honest with you. I was in the bathroom two days ago and. My brother's wife said to my kids, hey, what's three words to describe your dads? And my brother's kids went, and then my kids went, and they said some great things. And then they said the word, but he's, he's tired a lot. You know, and I think that's, my kids really see that, how tired I am. How often I need to just sit back, and I, and I just don't even know how to engage, right? You know? Um, and it, again, this is one of those things where I stop and I take a look at, where is my heart? What do I need? I'm, I'm pretty tired. Um, and so with, with that, when I'm tired and I'm in those places, my kids, when they sin and struggle, anger's easier. It's just easier to yell at them than to be patient and give them the gospel and, and offer forgiveness and love on them and help them grow in places. Anger's that quick thing I run to. How, wh- where's your anger, guys? Whether it's in parenting or anywhere, how quick are you turning to the anger? Because w- as we continue, how we treat our neighbor is a huge indicator are the indicatives dropping in us? Are we rooted in those things? How we treat our enemy, even. So Jesus calls us, I mean, Paul calls us to look at Jesus. Um, and as we continue, let me find myself here, as I often need to do. Um, yeah. So how do we do first one? How do we do, like, that's a lot of first one. It's not all of it, but it's a lot of verse one. How do we do it? Verse 2 is glad we asked. Like verse 2 is how we accomplish everything we just talked about with the indicatives. What does it practically look like to do verse 1? Um, and and for, you're going to have to forgive me. I have NIV memorized from my campus outreach days, and so it just comes out. This new ESV thing is just hard. And so it, it'll, you'll, it'll not match sometimes when it's on the screen, so forgive me. Um, but, but I even love the way the NIV says. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. ESV says it like this, don't be conformed to this world. I love the word pattern that it puts in there because the word conform kind of has that meaning in it. When you conform to something, there's a form already that you conform to, right? So the pattern of this world. And so verse 2 begins to talk about these two things, conforming versus being transformed. Conform, transform, right? And so that's the two I want to take as we just look at verse 2 as we and bring it to a close. Is conform is this, y'all. It's outside in. There is a pattern, right? And we are shaped to that pattern outside of us, and, and it happens inwardly, right? You know, it's fun. I, I see this in my kids a lot. This isn't all a bad thing, but y'all heard the word no cap? No cap. No cap. If you don't, if you don't have kids or teenagers right now, that means I'm not lying, or he's not lying, right? I love the other, the other day on Twitter, I saw a picture of a bottle with no cap on it. I immediately started laughing because that's when you say no cap, I'm like, what? what? It has no cap. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the way my mind thinks, right, with how I grew up. No cap or bruh, bruh, or you, you know, that's, that's a big one. Or, you know, the other one I hear, low-key, low-key, yeah. It's these words, and where do those come from? That's culture, friends. Culture is so powerful. We're around it, and then we begin to talk like it, to be shaped by it. And my kids for Christmas, they all wanted Jordans. Jordans are huge in Atlanta, 
or, or everywhere, right? You know, Michael made more in shoes in, he, in one year than he made his entire basketball career. I mean, that's a side note. You didn't ask for that, but he, he did. Like, culture influences us. And the older my kids get, the more I see it. And the more it kind of scares me to go, man, they're, they're being shaped every day. Or am I equally, based on what Jesus has done, like how big the indicatives are, am I equally helping them be transformed? Because conforming is happening. YouTube's doing that every day for them, right? These other things are shaping content. I've been trying to say, hey, the reason you like that, let me, let me try to show you what led your heart to that's the style for you now. Not to, to condemn them, but to show how impressionable it is, right, that culture is, and, and, and to use that for good, right? But he, he says, don't be conformed to this pattern. Don't be conformed. Don't let, it, don't let it grab you and mold you in a way where you look just like it. Because the indicatives, what he's done, put your roots in that. Because that's where transformation happens. So again, how how do you know if you've been conformed? How do you know? Well, first of all, you have. Right? We, We have been conformed. But again, where do we spend our time, our talents, and our treasure? I'm I'm hoping as I say these, and I can't unpack all of those, you're all different. And you all spend your time, talent, and treasure in different ways. But as you begin to think about the new year, will you slow down and and evaluate these things? Because a, a great exercise that I'll come back to is that when you think about going forward, you slow down, you look up, let looking up help you look in. And as you look in, we look back, and then we look forward. And as you do look back, friends, Will you consider how you spend your time, your money, your treasure, whatever the treasure is for you, and your talents? All of those things. Will you consider, will you evaluate those, possibly? So instead of outside in, transformation is inside out. The indicatives, we root in them, something happens in us. Very simple, right? And, and that, as it takes shape, it comes out of us. And it's the energy, it's the power to be people who crawl on the altar and offer ourselves. It's, it's where, it's how we over and over keep getting on it because that's where it's different. Jesus, once for all, he finished it. We keep getting on the altar, friends. Our lives are to, can be continually shaped over. And that's what I mean by starting over. In our marriage, sometimes I'm tired. I, babe, I'm tired of starting over. Can we just be different? But starting over is the very thing that helps us be different, right? So we, we need the energy to do that. And so I'm sitting with my sister-in-law yesterday, and she says, I've read Genesis 74 times. You know what she means, right? Every year. All right, I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to read it. And she gets through Genesis, and about, you know, 50 days in, that's about Genesis, one chapter a day, you lose it, right? Like, is that, is that she's, and she literally said, what, what do I do? Just, do I just need to be more disciplined, like this exercise thing? Like, you know, and I was like, well, I mean, they're called spiritual discipline, so yeah, there's some discipline there. But I, was, but, but I just stopped, and I was like, you know, Liz, one of the things I would encourage you with is to remember, what is the point of it? Is it to read through Scripture? Is that the point? Or is it really about connection? Is it about your heart and getting before Jesus and having a relationship with Him? Right? And I think that's what's often getting in the way. And I, and I hope I don't get in the way of that with even how I'm explaining these verses. Because I think that's what Paul's getting at. Like, if, if you are to understand these, this infects your heart. Like, Almost like the pandemic did, right? It, it's efficacious. It happens inside of you, and something begins to come out of you that then others receive from you, right? And so 
isn't it hard to offer your body when your heart's not in it? And I think that's what she's saying is like, I'm offering my body scripture, scripture. I need to read it. I need to read it. I need to read it. But her heart is not changed by it because, again, relationship, connection. And, and Paul is saying, let's let's get your let's deal with your heart as we think about getting on the altar. How do we deal with the heart in view of his mercy? Friends, I just wonder, have you stopped and thought or even in the passages I read it to you, do you realize Jesus was not a living sacrifice? He died, friends. He's a dead sacrifice. When he was put on the cross, he died. All the wrath we deserve, all the things, the contempt, the shame, and you name it, the the death that's happening all over the place, the the woman shot in the face at Urban Outfitters two weeks ago, all that crap that we see everywhere, it went on the cross with him. And he died for it, friends. Friends. That's what Paul said. Will you let that drop? Will you let that, let it grab you? Because be transformed is a passive word. It's, a, it's passive. Will you allow that to affect you, to impact you, so that you'll cr- cr- now take action to climb on that altar? And that's, that's what, I, what I'm calling us to as we begin the new year. Seek first his kingdom. It's to, to slow down. Because he says, this is this is the logical explanation. He says, this is your true act of worship. This is how you discern what God's will is. That's the end of verse 2. And that word is logic. It's where we get our word logic from. If you view it, if you see it and it drops, it's not, it's not a sec. It's, it's normal to give your life in this way now. It's logical. It makes sense now. So be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And friends, that's what has to happen. We must be renewed. There's something we have to feed to be able to get on that altar and over, over and over. And that's this connection, this intimacy, this beauty with Jesus. Our hearts must be, be ransacked by the beauty of the gospel. And it fall fresh and new this year. Start over with them so that we'll live out this calling in front of us. Yeah. And so at City Church, last just a few things for you. If you're new with us in New Year, maybe you're joining us. We have a few ways we do this here. One of them is our DNA groups. We, they, DNA stands for Disciple, Nurture, and Accountability. And we hope to do those three things. And we're growing into those things. But we have groups that are starting. And we're in the middle of Judges right now, which has been a beautiful book. It's where a lot of us are renewing our minds. I, I've heard so many people go, oh, my gosh, Judges. That is so good. I didn't even see it coming with what they're learning and experiencing from Judges. So I love it. So that's something we would love to help you get be a part of. Also, we have some, especially for you Northside folks, if you're not in a neighborhood community presently, we have two or three starting soon. And that's a place where we renew together, renew together, right? And so if you're interested in some of that, you can fill out the cards for those two things. And then also, if you, if you need a devotional, I have a really good devotional I recommend to people. I'd love to tell you more about that. Um, and you can, you can come find me, and I, you know, we'll definitely will help with that, because it, it's not just about reading the Bible, right? Lots of people do that. What does transformation look like, though? It's this him affecting you, impacting you, and you connecting with Jesus, this person who raised from the dead and who's alive right now on your behalf, right? Connecting with him. And so, again, I would love to help you learn more about those rhythms and what that looks like for our church and help you grow in a part of those. Please find me, and I'll, I'll definitely help you do that. But I just want to leave you there just to remind you, as you consider the new year for you, just start over. Look up. Take some time and go worship. Just sink your teeth in, deep in to the imperatives. What has he done for me? Just stay with it, friends. Let it drop on you. And then let that 
hope you look in. Have the capacity to look in and be real honest about where your heart is, what you're feeling, what's going on inside of you, and what you need as you look back. And consider time, talent, and treasure and the places that are going on inside of you, things that have happened and that you want as you look forward. Right? Let's let that be that day of prayer that leads you out into the new year. Let's pray. Jesus, oh Lord, we, I am especially thankful that we get to start over with you. Lord, my heart has been tired. And um, Lord, I just, I desire connection with you so much when I stop and consider it this way. And I just pray that for our people, that we would all connect with you. Even right now, Jesus, you promised to meet us at the table. And I pray in that special way that we would encounter you today. That, we, that wouldn't be tradition, but we would encounter you right now, Jesus. All of you, all of you and your goodness. And so, Lord, give us of you. Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. Help us see what gets in the way of us seeing him. And may our roots deepen there so that we can live out this calling of being family on mission for the renewal of all things here in Atlanta. We pray all this in your great name. Amen. Thank you, Mike. One of the things that uh, we do here at City Church is on the first Sunday of each month, rather than doing a confession of sin, we do a confession of